You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to Land Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. And we're going to jump back into our prescribed fire series this week as we uh, turn the corner. And I think uh, we're going to have probably us and then Kyle and Frank next week discussing prescribed fire and lots of ways they've used it. And man, they've got a lot of great ideas of what they're going to discuss but yeah um hopefully it's been helping some guys out and i know we've been tagged in a few posts uh the last few weeks of guys burning so mm-hmm. um it's great to see people really improving habitat and really doing some awesome things with prescribed fire restoring native landscapes and using a natural fantastic historical tool, tool uh with prescribed fire so um, before we jump in, though, just a reminder of our habitat workshops that we've got going this summer. Um, we've got one in June, one in July so far. Uh, we're looking at July 23rd through the 25th in Alabama, about yes. 45 minutes south of Birmingham. And then we're looking at June 25th through the 27th in Michigan, about 20 minutes west of Grand Rapids. Yes. So for you guys, listeners up in Michigan, northern Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, Illinois, even Wisconsin. Join um, us. Yeah. Meet us up up there. And then uh, if you guys are down in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Tennessee, see you in Alabama. You can check that out, the information at shoplandandlegacy.com and go to the field events tab. Also... We've got turkey season coming up, and I know there's some deals going on. There were, I think they're still going on at firstlight.com for some discounts on some of their amazing clothing. Um, you and know, so last year we wore Fusion mm-hmm. camo during turkey season. A little mm-hmm. bit more green into the camo. Mm-hmm. Do you see yourself making a change? What What was your kind of recap on on that? I might wear solid green. I don't know. Um, <laughs> with with yeah. as comfy as some of these pants are, it don't matter. <laughs> I tell you what, when it comes to turkey hunting, I know I'm going to sound kind of arrogant at this, but 
the last few years we've been we've had some good farms and we've had some amazing turkey hunts and we haven't hunted that many days before we've been tagged out yeah like it hasn't been that grind of every no. morning it's just been like no. we go out we may grind through morning we'll kill a bird or kill a couple of birds or kill three birds like it's been really good so like hey, there's all these new things like I still use the same ammo I was using probably oh, yeah. seven years ago, yep. Winchester Longbeard. That ain't um, gonna change. And I don't change. I don't mean, unless somebody brings in. You're says, just an old curmudgeon. you got to use this. I'm still like, I don't know if it can kill turkeys any more dead than they already are when I'm using this dead ammo. Is dead yep. and uh, And they're cheap. And then, uh, you know, when it came last year using the fusion camo, I, I mean, we killed turkeys. And I don't see any reason. I mean, you yep. may see me in the cipher, um, but you may even see me in plain green or plain brown. I, I, I don't Honestly, know. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Doesn't really Sit matter. Still. You will see me see me wearing the uh, the sawtooth jacket. Yeah, that is a good turkey hunting jacket. And you will see me wearing the corget pants. Mm-hmm. And then you will see me wearing probably the sawbucks. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'm definitely incorporating some of that. Um, and I think I'm like. You know, most times when you are sitting in, in in our timber, it's oak, hickory, it's brown leaves still during that time frame. Mm-hmm. Not maybe later in the season, it's a little bit more green as an understory, but early season, very brown. And so those brown sawbucks are perfect. Yeah, perfect, perfect. But yeah. no, I, I I had no complaints at all from from any of that. Um, so check it gear out. or camo. Firstlight dot com. That's F R I. F I R S T L I T E dot com. My brain went faster than my than my lips. Uh, check it out. Um, all right. So prescribed fire. I've had a lot of great feedback with this whole series. Yes. Um, a lot of guys that are really uh, interested in using it. A lot of guys who are um, ha- have used it, and then other ones who are hoping to use it. Um, but we're going to cover a topic today about kind of answering some of the questions that have came in, um, not just through the series, but pretty regular Commonly, questions that yeah. we, the most common questions we get um, with our consulting business, which by the way, we've been, oh man, uh, outside of some rearranging schedules due to weather, you know, it's this podcast going to drop on February the 16th. And so it's probably cold in much <laughs> of the U.S. I mean, here where we don't get terribly cold we're not known for our winters it's gonna be negative nine that morning which yeah. is which is cold very um, cold but, uh, but a lot of the places are any anywhere from west to upper midwest and have to, you seen the map of like this front where it's, it's like giant. here's where you're gonna get ice here's where you're yeah. gonna get, get snow here's it's where wild. you're gonna get some snow and it's like oklahoma mm-hmm. uh, one of our clients out in kind of west oklahoma i saw him post and it was like you know, and I was talking to a friend of mine that lives out west of Oklahoma City, kind of just outside of it. It's like this first front that's going to already pass by the time this podcast hits, 10 to 12 inches forecasted. Yeah. Then the front that hits Thursday, After. Wednesday, Thursday yeah. is 12 to 14 inches. It's a lot of snow. They literally, literally could have 24, almost, uh, mm-hmm. they could have two foot or more on the ground if those forecasts are correct. That's just, for for West Oklahoma, that's insane. Well, yeah, exactly. When when sometimes their precipitation annually is 21 inches of rain, yeah. and that, that's that's a lot of precipitation to come and fall in, in one single event. And, you know, actually, Frank and I on the other podcast this week talk a lot about, you know, some, some of the extremes and managing being conscious for them. You know, we talk about each region, what stress periods are, 
this is the type of event that as a land manager you should be conscious of that yes it doesn't happen every single year but this is sustained cold temperatures we'll we'll get where we're zero you know three four nights out of a year let's say Mm -hmm. but it has been almost zero for about a week eight nine days now yeah um in that sustained type of temperatures when on the front end as well brought ice that's bad news for a lot of wildlife and it, it makes it difficult makes it tough but the only way to combat that it's is not necessarily spilling a bag of feed but it's but not it's supplemental habitat. feeding no it's Dang. it's habitat it is food at the available resources or right heights the structure the density to be able to consistently get through temperatures Th- like I, this. I just think about like this you picture wildlife who like landowners gone out and has loaded up uh you know, dumped out a bunch of feed on the ground, mm-hmm. and they're like, "All right, that's going to get them a while." Then some front like this happens, and there's two and foot of snow on and they top can't, of it, and they can't get to the farm. And yeah. those wildlife have depended, have like sh- showed up for that that handout. Those mm-hmm. like, "Oh, look, free food." Yeah, and now they're like, "You dirty dog! Yeah. You yeah. attracted me to this area, and now there's nothing. Now I've got to hightail it two miles north to go find food there." Mm-hmm. And you just kind of rearrange their pattern to where you you think you helped them, but you didn't. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that again, just just provide the habitat, just yeah. provide the vegetation, um, and literally fire, bringing it back can do that. Yeah, is it, a is a huge part of that. And, and I, I I think that it's very common the desire to learn about fire and the desire to implement it is huge. I and I think once we get over the hump or once landowners get over the hump of actually taking those first steps to implement fire it's it's almost going to be one of those <laughs> this is probably a bad phrase to use if we were talking about prescribed fire but it's almost going to be like an unstoppable wave of people actually then using fire yeah. where you can observe what happens pre and post fire and then observe what the wildlife do um, in response to that, it's like, why did I wait so long? And, and we, yeah. we commonly see that with people when we go and you know, have you, we asking them through a consultation, have you guys implemented prescribed fire? No, but it's something we want to do. Okay, well, that's going to be part of this plan. Then they do it, and then we get the calls like, that was amazing. Not, number one, that was fun. But number yeah. two, what we're seeing is incredible. Like, it's the it's it's green already where nothing else is green it's coming back it's growing faster it's vigorous it's this it's that it's tender it's, it's amazing but those are the types of responses that people have but imagine what the wildlife then say to that though too it's like if you think it's that good imagine what they think yeah what do you think what what percentage of clients that you deal with because yep uh, we both deal with different clients now because we never, we almost never consult together. Right. Um, but what percentage of clients do you talk to make the comment about how they're probably over the course of the year after our consult more excited about land management than the hunting side now? Like they have, they oh, probably wow, have yeah. more fun in the year growing, growing deer rather than shooting deer or hunting deer it's I, I w- it's I would gotten s- to be i would say v- they will come and verbally say that 70 to 80 percent of the time I, i'm right there too but i would say 
almost 100% of them, whether they say it or not, feel it. Yeah. Yeah. But but for that many people, and, and I've had some, I'd like to get them on the podcast, honestly, but I've, I've had some folks where it was almost, I am, and, and this is a verbal, like what they would have classified themselves as, 100% trophy hunter, antlers are all that matter. Yeah. Then less than a year of managing a property come to me and say that land management is way better, yeah. way more fun. <laughs> My family is involved. I've got everyone participating in this. I thought hunting season was cool, but I'm literally on the property managing things year round. I could take that same excitement that's packed into maybe four months and and work with my family and incorporate them into everything 365 days a year. Yeah. And then that's where we're sitting back and like that winning. That's the goal. That's yeah. the purpose. You love it, the land more than you love the antlers are growing on a deer's head. Yeah. I I I was on a, a guest on a podcast recently where um they were we were talking about uh, he mentioned that the first first job that God gave Adam, the first man was to look after the land, name the animals and be a caretaker. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yeah, tell me tell me where in that in that in those verses where he says that you have to take priority over one species to the next. Yeah, yeah. Like where does it say that you can favor mm-hmm. one versus the other? Yeah. No, he says take care take uh take care of it. Take care of the land yeah. which which is the foundation that then the wildlife and the plants and, that make and, up the land are are good. And that's why I like prescribed fire is one of those things to me that is such a a uh uh, a reset button. It's such a a great tool because you can manage in a day lots of acres um, and create lots of diversity. You can not only benefit plants but benefit animals as well. Benefit so many other species. Uh, well, I, I and then at the end of the day, like you you work for let's say eight hours and you improve forty acres. There's right. not a single thing that I can think of that that you could cover that many acres and have that much benefit. And I think that a lot of like the terminology, and we don't really get hung up too much on terminology, at least I, d- I don't think so, that, that, that we could. But when we talk about land management techniques, a lot of times there's a lot of like overlapping of like uh, food plots or, or um, uh, wildlife management techniques that get thrown into, oh, that's just land management, that's just this. It's like, no, 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 like... Prescribed fire is total 100% land management. It has implications and um, benefits to things such as soil activity, things such as water infiltration, things such as plant regeneration, things such as shaping future um, plant communities, and they're then impacting wildlife. And it, to me, like that's the type of thing that has the potential to be s- that impactful piece of land management that is missing in a lot of people's property. It, yeah. If we're only focusing on, let's just say, timber management or, or just on food plots, that's not total land management when we could use a technique such as prescribed fire and yeah. have all those benefits just mentioned. 
now we're impacting things on a greater scale. Yeah. It's uh, – That's the power of it. I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. It's uh-huh. just like if or, you're not doing it, you're cutting yourself short. And I know that everyone's time is limited when it when it comes to, let's say, educating, maybe getting experience um, – a, a burning maybe on a friend's property or whatever, but but really you just got to do it. Like yeah. You just have to take that time. You got to yeah. you got to cross the leap of I'm putting fire on my property. Yep. And I think too, um, how, how many times you see somebody who's like ah just like this little chunk of timber, there's falling down stuff. Like it's just it's kind of I don't really like it. It's not it, it's not as productive as, as I was like. It's like. If you would just burn that, like yeah. post-timber, let's say post-timber harvest, eh, it's kind of, you know, I don't really like the look of it. Incorporate prescribed fire. Yeah. At first, it might be a little a little bit uneasy because you're burning up some treetops and different things. But as long as you'll implement prescribed fire and start that process, like I was just talking to a landowner uh, yesterday who had bought a farm that had been heavily heavily logged before he bought it yeah and he's like ah, i just would like to get it somewhat cleaned up like it looks pretty ugly right now which you know that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> yeah but yeah it's like yeah what what's your goal is like i really want more herbaceous plants i don't really like the brambles that have came in well mm-hmm. there's a pretty good chance it was that was just uh, a product of of mismanagement so start burning it incorporate it two fires and i guarantee it won't look anything like it does now yeah. totally totally and, and and, and and the only other way to get away from that outside of prescribed fire would be lots of labor of herbicide application, chainsawing. Oh, like, it would just be a, a nightmare. And it, it's, you, it's the only way to feasibly – again, the, whole, the, every, the country is not made up of 20 acres and 40-acre parcels yet. <laughs> yeah. But, but literally, if you are a, a relatively large-scale – or or maybe even just a non-resident landowner, and you want to positively and in an impactful manner improve your property, you have to use tools that are efficient. And and let's just say you're a landowner who lives two hours away from your place and you have 250 acres. Yeah, if I'm supposed to have fire in that landscape, I'm going to do my darndest to make sure that I'm using my time wisely Therefore, using a tool that will manage the major, like a large majority of the property for that given year, and it's fire. Yeah. I mean, if I have a thousand acres, uh, there's not enough man hours in a day or in a year to be able to do the things, manipulate the landscape in the way that fire could do so yeah. in an afternoon well, or I, in three days. Here's my analogy: <laughs> We had a we're doing glade restoration uh, on on the farm, and. Uh, Actually, the farm Chad and I just bought last week. If you want to hear that story, it's on last week's podcast. But um, on that property, and it's total just under five acres. I ran a saw. Uh, Chad might kill me. I think I ran a saw one day or two days. I can't remember. And Chad ran a day, two or three days. Yeah. To to cut all the cedars and a lot of other junk on this glade. It took us a good like lots of labor. Three, yeah. probably at least four days and we could have that whole unit burned in a matter of minutes that's yeah. the difference yeah i mean that, that that's where it comes like okay i i've i've just heard all the benefits from the land side of the improvement and the, and then wildlife will benefit but literally it just comes down to um evaluate 
your time. And if it time matters to you, you absolutely better be <laughs> time using should matter to everybody. Yeah, you absolutely should be using prescribed fire um, because the the results are 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 amazing. And I think this is the other benefit that we're talking today is the way in which we use prescribed fire. It's not just enough to say, as a land manager, I'm utilizing prescribed fire. Therefore, I'm maximizing the property's potential because we often see prescribed fire used inappropriately just like any tool you could use it right or wrong or you could use it and then not get the response that you want and so fire even though it is um, a broad brush type of stroke across a property and its ability to cover large land masses in a short amount of time it's the timing and the firing types and techniques and intervals of fire that allow you to do detailed work on a property. Yeah. You can totally dictate or strongly influence, I think it would probably be a better word, strongly influence the plant communities that come back based on knowing how to use prescribed fire. Not just not just implementing prescribed fire, but knowing how to and if you want to hear more like kyle and frank are really going to go into this next week yes the different types of like ways you put fire on the landscape yeah here we're going to talk about how to get the end result of the different types of plant communities by utilizing prescribed fire again it's like well just like think, think of it like a chainsaw right you could you could totally take a chainsaw which is the tool just like fire is a tool but you could take that chainsaw and go up to a tree and essentially make three different types of cuts on it yep. that are, let's say, habitat-related. You hinge cut it. There's one type, same tool. You could girdle it, same tool, different type of cut. Or you could just fell the thing and drop it to the ground. Same tool, three different types of ways mm-hmm. of using it, and we'd get a three different types of responses yep. from the habitat. Yep. Same thing with fire. Yep. And I think that's the misconception of, oh, we're just going to burn it and done. Like, it's totally, I've got fire. But you talked about a a property that you saw um, had a glade. Yeah. It had a great species that was on it that you would totally want to see on a glade. Was it a lot of cedar encroachment? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, of course. So there's cedar, but... It was super grassy. Oh, it's totally. You know, this glade was probably you know in between five ten acres. Cedar, pretty heavy cedar encroachment. The typical where you saw like some post oaks. This is a part of the world that that had more of a post oak dominated yeah. uh, glade forest. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. the forest was mostly post oaks. Um, and so you had those spots, those little seams where there was trees. But then, you know, because there was oaks there, birds were eating cedar berries, going right. in and pooping them. So you would see these patches, these lines, sure. kind of linear areas of cedar encroachment. But all the open acres, you're like, oh, this is glade. You know, you can see the remnant plants mm-hmm. because I was there during dormant season. So you could see coneflower. You could see uh, – I'm trying to think of some of the other common names. I was going to say rattlebush, but uh, indigos. Yep. You could yep. see the indigo bushes. You could see um, – Purple oh. prairie clovers or no, muspidesas. you could see like your kind of like your black-eyed susan, mm-hmm. something, some mm-hmm. sort of 
uh, one of those. And then Coreopsis potentially. Lots of uh, little blue stem. And it's just like. Dominated. 80%, maybe 90% Mm -hmm. of the landscape was Mm -hmm. little blue stem. And I I mean, I absolutely love little blue stem. But you're looking at it, you're going, it's not providing forage for the deer. Yeah. Um, and yep. it really, you know, when you look at it, there's not like a lot of shrub component to this. So it's not phenomenal cover. Like as much as we love little blue stem, it's not the end all be all cover and even native grass, the whole, all the species of native grasses isn't the end all be all cover for sure. deer. And so it's like, you know, this is great, but the management's just two clicks off. It's just like yes. every, almost everywhere you go, even on my own farm, even on our own places that we manage, you could say, you know, with with lack of time or lack of funds, a lot of times you see pretty good habitat that's a six or a seven, and because the rest of the surrounding area is so poor, you're like, oh, it's awesome. You know, we're right. talking about this pre-show, but like uh, the family farm, we do a lot of things, and you could say, oh. We're the ones who really are, we're the factory producing the deer and the neighbors are benefiting. But we look pretty good, even though we're pretty poor because of lack of time and previous, uh, earlier on in life, lack of time and funds. Mm-hmm. And so we were like three clicks off from being quality. We're on a five, having fun on a five on a scale to 10 when... You're halfway there. You're halfway there. It could be so much better. So yeah. a native glade, which was overgrazed at some point... Then lack of fire, or when it did have fire, was at the at the same time, every single time it was burned. <clears throat> a dormant season that would have promoted tons of grasses, and now what you saw during the consultation was heavy grass dominance. Yeah, and and we covered that in the last series we did the value of or lack thereof of grasses specifically when managing whitetails and. Voila, now we have a, an opportunity that I'm sure you recommended come cut the cedars and let's try and incorporate a a growing season fire, mm-hmm. change, use use fire, of course, which would have been utilized on this property or on this this um, this landscape. but but instead of a dormant season that would promote more grasses, we got to change it up because we need the forbs back in. Yeah, try to burn and then also some summer grazing. Sure. And try sure. to try to knock create that disturbance, that. knock that grass back, mm-hmm. and and promote forbs because yep. that's the goal. We need more diversity, and even okay, you take that native ecosystem and you're like, woo, glade, woo, like yeah. this is pretty cool. Um, and you look at it from quail standpoint, we're in a part of the world where average rainfall may be less than thirty inches. Which here? No, no, no. Okay, where that okay. where that glade say, was, no. yep, uh, where that glade it. was less than thirty inches. Okay, think okay. Pretty dry climate in comparison to some other places, yep. but still not extremely dry, but pretty dry. And the grasses are still too rank. Yeah, that's not Like, good. if you're a quail, it was too rank. Yeah. And it's like, it, that's how far off we've come across much of the landscape in the in in America is, even though we're in a native, a native ecosystem, right. we're so, still, the management has been off just enough to create it to where... If I'm a quail, I'm I'm gonna rank it on a, I'm gonna give it like a four or five because it's just little blue stem. And and that's where I think that what we see through our eyes of of uh, traveling the country, um, 
knowing native and historical landscapes as well as knowing what wildlife need, we see things for its potential and not what it currently is. And I think that's that's sometimes hard for some people to be able to see. Maybe if, if uh, a, a client you know, hires us, we're like, well, this is what it needs to be. And it's like, well, how do you know? Like, how 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 do you know? How how are we gonna get there? What are the what are the type of things that we're gonna do? Yeah. Well, prescribed fire is totally totally gonna be one of those, and in many cases, to get something back. But at the end of the day, this podcast we're talking about how to get the desired results we want from the plant community. Oh, you just that's what about, we're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You just talked about how you would want to manage that specific site, that glade, but but. In general, let's go to um, an old field situation. So something that, um, you know, is got, let's say we're doing an old field, managing it for quail, then let's say managing it for turkeys, then go to deer. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to say an old field that was. That's completely uh, removed of any non-native grasses. That we took out the non-native grasses, now it's coming back in. Um, it started out as the first year or two after removing those grasses, it started out as goldenrod, ragweed, a few clumps of uh, Indian grass yeah. and and little blue stem and maybe a little bit of switchgrass, like a clump or two. Yes. Um, and I'm managing it for for uh, quail. Yeah. I'm looking at that going, this is beautiful. I've mm-hmm. got my dotted clumps of grass Nest, but it's clumps? it's forb heavy yes um and there's a few shrubs or a few trees that were growing in this field and i cut them down and now i just have a woody structure a down tree structure dotted every hundred yards this is beautiful yep from a from a quail management standpoint i'm going i'm, I'm getting somewhere i want to i want to maintain this right but I instead I'll play a little analogy and I'll say, okay, well I'm I'm kind of new to prescribe for it. I'm gonna burn it in February, and I burn it in February, and I'm like, ooh, that was nice. I burn black to black I, from fire line to fire line. I burn it nice, and then the, two years later I burn it again at that time frame, and again at that time frame, and ten years later it's a very grassy old field. It, it goes Indian to grass, switch grass, twenty percent. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa! They're, the quail aren't here as much. What yeah. happened? Yeah. Well, I used I got stuck in the dormant season rut. Yeah. And I burned in February, yeah. and I had fun, and I thought it was marvelous, but I forgot how to manage for Forbes. Well, yeah, you forgot what the desired result for the species you were wanting. You got you got in that rut of of um, continual, uh, I want to say, complacent management. Yeah. Of this is what I do. This is how I do it. Check the box. Move on down the road. What's the next next task? Yeah. And in in that course, <laughs> I saw that. You know, summer activity of deer was uh, early on when it was more Forbes. I had a lot more summer activity of deer, but I noticed as fall progressed and time progressed, I got a little bit more deer activity in the fall. And I'm yep. and I was like, oh, that's cool. Now I've got a great place that I can mm-hmm. rut hunt here. Mm-hmm. And I forgot that. And in the meantime, of seeing more deer during the fall, I was losing seeing quail. Yep. Or, and, and turkey very similar. After burns, right. turkeys were in there like crazy. But then they were they were leaving because the grass got too rank. So my birds kind of filtered away while the deer started using it more. That or yeah, or on the flip side, it was 
now I only see some of these critters if I see them on the edges, on the boundary, and not yeah. the interior. Yeah. And this is where we have to consistently go back to what are the goals of the property? Are you managing for quail? Are you managing for turkey? Are you managing for deer? And then say usable space. What's usable? What's not? What's yeah. the goal? What's the intention of that old field unit? Because like you said, I did the, I did prescribed fire, guys. It, like on a rotation every two years, uh-huh. and my composition of plants changed. Therefore, the species that worked that area, utilized it, changed as well. Yep. And, and great example, but that's exactly what we're talking about. I, we see it so much. And and so then if I wanted to change that up, let, let's say it was a 20-acre field, I could have, I, I could handle this a couple different ways. I could try to break that up into... Uh, two seven acre units and a and a six acre unit and I and I and I just have it broke up to where there's different regeneration to where I have quail and turkeys on it on a more regular basis because every year because I'm on a three year burn cycle because it's an open field um, I notice that every year I still have quail and turkeys in that area because there's three different growth rates mm-hmm. now I could mm-hmm. do that or I could in- incorporate and I think sometimes in July, in much of the Midwest, every three years, there's going to be one of those Julys where, like, it is stinking hot and dry. Oh, yeah? And you know what? Ding, ding, ding. You know what? Maybe I need to implement a prescribed fire. I'm not going to the pool this afternoon. Yeah. I'm going to prepare fire I'm not going to go I'm play going golf. Burn. Yeah. Or if go to the lake and fish, That's I'm going to go put in some prescribed fire lines, and yep. I'm going to burn it. It's yep. only going to take me a day, but I'm going to burn it. And yep. because if I burn in July or August, there's going to be a couple months of regrowth happen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I'm not burning and leaving it black through the fall. Yep. Um, I'm gonna, and I'm going to have some good regrowth. And all of a sudden, bam, I have more forbs the next year. More, more forbs. And then probably as it regrows, those younger turkeys are in there so consistently. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, like, since you burned it and you changed it late in the season, that's where the turkeys are. And, and I, focusing in and around that area so heavily. And ideally, what I would like to see is if it is a 20-acre unit, you've got three different units or four different units. One's getting burned. One gets burned in February. One gets burned in July. Sure. Another one gets burned the next February. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, there's everything's different here. Everything's one's gotten two ranking grass. I'm, that's my next summer burn. Or growing season fire. And so, old field, there you go. Yeah, so again, there's there's obviously great examples of different ways to manipulate yep. plant communities. Um, but again, it's not just enough to say, I implement prescribed fire. It's how are you using prescribed fire as a technique to steer the plant community. So, going to like a, a north slope... Um, mm. I, let's, just, let's just say north slope in um, Indiana. Yep. How how would I be managing a north slope with prescribed fire in Indiana? In most general cases, obviously this is not. Can a I make an specific. assumption here and say sure. first I'm going to get rid of the Japanese stiltgrass? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, shout shout out to a gentleman right now who I know. He just texted me and I'm looking and laughing because he he refers to himself as the land and legacy habitat hitman. And yesterday <laughs> he was. This is Heath Sutton out of, oh. out of Kentucky. He was running a chainsaw like a madman. He's uh, and so join him, um, and and let's encourage him to keep fighting the fight with stilt grass. He's been managing 
very intensely the last couple of years. He will get ahead of it, but that's a guy who always got a good attitude, but I love it. He calls himself the Habitat Hitman. Well, I'm going to shout out to Eric, Mr. Eric over there, one of our clients that's yeah. not too terribly far right. from him yep. that's also dealing with stilt grass infestation and has mm-hmm. really started putting a hit on it. So, yeah. Keep, um, keep going. Keep grinding. The, that's the, it. There is light at the end of the tunnel. That's it. That's so, um, Yeah, that, that north so, slope in Indiana. Yep. And, and so, you know, I- anywhere in Indiana, there's – even in southern Indiana, that I would say your biggest stress period is late winter. Mm-hmm. And so we're really trying to manage for woody brows. And so that's where you got to think about prescribed fire usage on those north slopes and going, you know, maybe I'm not on a one to three year cycle, maybe on a five to 10 year cycle because I'm trying to encourage woody growth and I'm not trying to burn my way out of woody growth and go to more grasses and forbs. I'm just trying to set back the woody growth to keep it within reach of the deer and to keep it in a in a stance where I not only get good, uh, a pretty high stem count for cover but I'm also most importantly encouraging encouraging woody brows to be available on the landscape. And so many times especially I think of several guys in Indiana I worked with where tulip poplar is pretty present yeah, yeah. and it can grow out of reach pretty it's quickly. Very very quick. I mean, like you're you're looking at six, seven foot growth year one. Yeah. On, on sprouts, and yeah. that's just it doesn't have that that slower long term return. You can you can really top kill sprouts with fire, but you might not be able to get a I fire would, back on that landscape for a couple of years if you if you were to clear cut something because you don't have enough fuel. And and so it's like, gosh, I, I just I'm not a big fan of the tulip poplar. Yeah. So I would <laughs> probably be looking to remove some of it try to on the north slopes and try to encourage sunlight first and foremost remove invasives first and foremost but then i burn on a five to ten maybe a four four to ten depending on fuel loads but i'm trying to burn to stimulate growth but not burn so much that i stunt growth i would i would yeah no that's a good point i would if I have the option of managing the flip side of that ridge and I have a south slope, yeah, that's where I'm going to have a, a quicker fire return because it's going to ha- – I have the option of allowing it to be probably more herbaceous through the management techniques of sunlight, proper sunlight, and then more more fire days to be able to burn. So I'm going to decrease that fire return interval, therefore making it probably – more herbaceous grassy and then allow that woody regeneration uh to occur on the north slope i may not have to take down the canopy nearly as much so i could favor some mass producing trees release those and then decrease a um fire i mean increase a fire interval like i said the five ten years mm-hmm. probably going to have more woody growth woody brows decent bedding opportunities there on the north slope yep and there's there's a flip side north versus south, but those are the kind of things. Again, same tool, different slope, different sunlight, different aspect, and now we've got a different regeneration. But we are managing utilizing the same tool. Yeah, it's, it's literally not enough to say can't get any better, guys, because I'm burning. Yep. Yeah, but like, how? How are you burning? Take it to the next step of being critical of of the the techniques the timing um that it is you're using that and if i if i if you don't have a desired goal for getting or for using that tool 
you may not be helping. You could be hurting. Yeah. How many times I, I've I've been on property, worked on property where prescribed fire was used regularly, <clears throat> but it was with the intention of being beneficial, mm-hmm. but with the stated goals, it was it was not as it was not beneficial. Actually, it was detrimental because right. north slopes or areas where they were trying to encourage bedding. It was not managed enough to where there was enough sunlight, and so what little growth was coming up and what little cl- sunlight was, was getting out. burned back every two to three years. Right, right. It, it, it wasn't enough energy into the system to be able to get that response, and then whatever little response you got, you just wiped the slate clean. Yeah. And it's like, and it took, whoa. Yeah. Where whoa. the growth that was occurring in that canopy cover was similar to – what you could get, what you would get in that canopy cover in three years was similar or even less than what you would right. get in one year out of an area that had more sunlight. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That side by side comparison, um, you know, would, would be great and eye opening for a lot of people. But that is yep. exactly what we see. How much, how much, uh, let's say, kerosene are you throwing to the fire, which is the sunlight aspect, but yeah. then when are you coming back with that? And, you know, I, I've seen this a lot, let's say, on, on some social media posts or, or videos um, of a lot of people, um, let's say, uh, they're, they're implementing prescribed fire, but I see it a lot in, like, heavy, thatched, smooth brome areas. And they're like, we're doing prescribed fire this is a fantastic tool, and we're doing it during the dormant season when, again, you could burn all that thatch off, and they're like, oh, look at all this green coming back, but literally, it's just smooth brome coming back. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. well, again, yeah. the tool and the timing of utilizing that tool, you reduce some of the thatch, competi- you know, thatch and, and maybe there's going to be some more uh Forb growth within the patches, but it's a sod forming grass at the mm-hmm. same time. Essentially, you didn't do anything. Yeah. It's kind of like burning closed canopy timber. Um, you can burn all the leaves off you want, which would be the equivalent to thatch. Yeah. But you don't grass, have sunlight. Yeah. And, and in a sod forming grass, you don't have sunlight reaching the soil because it's a sod forming grass. So you can burn off all the duff and thatch that you want. But you you didn't address the problem. So again, you're utilizing a fantastic tool with zero results. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Or it's, like, it's it, my my same analogy or similar analogy would be like you're using a chainsaw and you're going out to remove invasives, but you're not going the extra distance to spray the stump to kill it. It's just going <laughs> to grow back. I know. What's I know. the point of wasting the labor? Yeah, dulling chains. Dulling chains, wasting away, thinking. I thinking you're you're doing something beneficial, which you may get some more growth because you temporarily get more sunlight, but ultimately the invasive is going to win. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like a temporary void that could be created with trapping. Right? You go yeah. in and you're like, "Well, I'm making a difference. I'm going to cut it, but it comes back, right? <sighs> or I'm going to burn the thatch off that field, but I forget the fact that it's smooth brome." I have a temporary clean slate, but what comes back is bad. Yeah. What comes back is is the same thing. I have the same issue. I didn't change it. Kind of could be the same thing with trapping. Temporary void, but then whoop, comes right back 
and now we're sitting at the same problem. We didn't address the root of the problem, which is funny. When you address the root, you actually can kill, kill the root stuff, right? Yep. So, what about the or like if I wanted a really herbaceous unit, like let let's say I've got a I've got a timber harvest, I've reduced the canopy down to uh, 60 percent of what would be you know hundred percent canopy. So I've got quite a bit of light coming in. Yeah. And I want to make that area an herbaceous unit with some mass-producing trees, but it's got some shade. How do I accomplish that by utilizing prescribed fire? I've always I've already done the mechanical work by removing the canopy. How do I get it herbace, herbaceous versus super woody? Yeah, so you would definitely want to incorporate. Let's just say you're you're discussing a woodland. Yeah, uh, a, a true. I guess it's hard to really define savannas and woodlands, but in my opinion, I would say more of a woodland setting, maybe a little bit more on the edge of a of woodland savanna. But um, I'm trying to encourage that beautiful herbaceous mix of wildflowers and grasses, rather than the case of a big trees with lots of saplings coming up underneath. Mm-hmm. So you want to burn on a more regular burn routine in that two to four two to five year pattern to where you can stump uh, kill those or set back those stump sprouts and over time two to three burns you're going to greatly set back uh, the amount of woody encroachment you'd be doing a lot of top killing of the saplings yeah and weakening that existing root system so every time it comes back it's a little bit weaker but over the course of you said you know two to five burns which would and they're really probably going to be dormant season burns because it is going to be hard to, in that mixed shade, um, semi-shade, to get a good growing season burn. Um, so out of the gate, let's say we're four years removed from a timber harvest and we're two years removed from a TSI, I'm going to incorporate dormant season burns to try to really rejuvenate that that seed bed um, and, and get those native grasses growing and set back those woody sprouts. And and hopefully over time, with more light, less saplings, so less mid-story canopy, you do have more light coming mm-hmm. through, mm-hmm. Um, and then you're able to burn and throw in every couple years a, a growing season yeah. fire. Yeah, and it might be a very patchy growing season fire. Very patchy, low intensity and that's all good and fine because yeah. it, that there, that type of burn, as you'll find out next week, has a purpose. Like it does not yeah. have to be a rip roar and fire. There's a lot of growing it, season you, fires that are going to be way more patchy, way more low intensity fires than opposed to a dormant season fire because of the high humidity, because of the shade component, because yeah. of the moisture that's in the air and in the and fine you, fuels. And you literally might be walking through the middle of that burn unit, chasing sunlight patches and lighting those off. Yeah. yeah, Super patchy, but at the end of the day, again, what we'll kind of started the podcast with, there's diversity built right into a, a burn unit. Yeah. And and we're, we're f- moving that plant community more in a direction of less woody saplings and more herbaceous forb growth, which is... Yeah, what we want for that designated unit. Yeah. Um. What about like a true bedding block? I mean, a bedding block as in let's um what P 
people are commonly are hearing here on the podcast from uh, a bedding thicket. We've got a mixture of a lot of woody regeneration from flush cuts to a couple hinge cuts thrown in to We're talking uh, like a 10-acre unit with a 2-acre cut in the middle of it? Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, but, but maybe even it's a it's a four acre unit around one one bedding cut. If 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 the main focus of that unit is is for whitetail bedding in a timbered area or a once timbered area, what's the desired burn rotation to manage that plant community for perfect secure cover? Well, I would say that depending on the species, so it depends. There you go, first thing. Um, The first thing I would have to do is ID the plant or the tree species within that unit because if it's down south and it's sweet gums and winged elm and a bunch of other species that I'm not really in favor of anyway, Mm -hmm. um, then I'm going to try to burn a good amount just to knock those back and get some other forbs growing because I know that the woody sprouts will take over. And before I know it, I've got eight foot tall woody sprouts that aren't really doing me much. But I I immediately, when you describe that, I'm going to say my burn pattern, my burn um, schedule is more uh, on the side of five to 10 year, if not 10 to 15 I'm just trying to burn, so it's all dependent upon the regrowth that's occurring. I'm trying to lean on the side of more woody sprouts and and trees than I am forbs because I want structure and I want uh, heavy woody structure to help hold the deer and make them feel secure. Where if it's a strong forb base or grass base, like a savanna, if you just talk about a, a an oak savanna, it's not really great bedding because no, by the not. time the fall hits and frost hits and wind hits and snow and rain through the course of it's it's pretty barren. Correct. And so I'm trying not to burn it on a regular basis because I'm wanting those shrubs or those young trees, that young forest to grow up, but I'm burning enough to keep them contained rather than turning into big trees or big mid-story trees, if that makes sense. So I'm trying to keep those woody growth, that woody structure, less than 10 foot tall. But I'm trying to keep it tall enough that it's it's over 4 foot tall. Yes. I would would probably fall into the 5, 6 year time frame window depending on how much sun was getting into that initial cut. But if it was full sun, yeah, it may go six or seven years um, on, on a burn rotation to maintain, sustain that and quality bedding. And I think my gut tells me <coughs> a chainsaw is going to have to be implemented. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're if you're trying to get those bedding areas um, to be more woody structure, you're going to try not to burn them as much, mm-hmm. but yet you risk them being encroached too much with and, woody and structure. And when you have a lot of woody uh, diversity in that actual unit, you are going to have things that grow faster, respond quicker, comparatively speaking to other ones. The other thing I think a lot of people will will uh, get tripped up on when it comes to managing units is not every portion of the property needs to be that thick, dense cover. No. I think with whitetails, everybody really, really tries to say, well, I can see through that timber. I can see through that timber. I can see through that timber. Okay. 
well, what's underneath of that? If there's if there's nothing underneath, then yes, we need to solve that problem. But if in the fall, I could have seen rich, you know, forb brambles, tons of food during the growing season, that right there sir, served a purpose. But I know on the flip side of that hill, there is a two-acre dense pocket that literally in the fall, that's where all the deer are. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I don't have to have in the fall when you're hunting – Every single portion dense and thick, because there's it makes not it as much food there. I would rather have acres in yeah. food than acres in bedding. Now there's yes. a fine line because I want really high quality bedding that has some food, but I also want to have a lot of acres that are really quality food with the cover aspect. Yes, and and I think so many people are misconstrued that and think. I need cover, cover, cover. Well, yes, you do. You just need it in the right places on the farm, but yeah. you also need a lot of, of growing season forages, and not every portion of your timber needs to be, has to be, should be cover. Yeah. It makes hunting way easier in the fall. I can promise you that. If yeah. you say, nope, this is where they're foraging during the summer and early fall, and then leaves drop, and they're over there, and it, I can promise you that's the unit that they're in yeah way easier absolutely absolutely so yeah I, I, man, man that's funny you're yeah. saying the exact same thing <laughs> um i i think from that's probably gonna technique. be all prescribed fire from you and i kyle yeah. and frank will wrap it up next week um and, and and they're very knowledgeable they utilize prescribed fire all the time will bring a yeah. lot of knowledge to the table about the firing techniques. Probably but even more than us in the course of I in think, the fall because yeah. or in the spring and fall because we're so we're we're busy consulting. And, and those jokers they they're, they're managing. managing thousands of acres underneath of their their guidance um, yeah. every year, and they have great history, um, you know, catalogs from from what they've seen. So um, that will be a great podcast. Be sure to tune in to it next week, but. Hopefully that will give you guys a, a another insight to how fire should be utilized and implemented on the landscape. Let it guide your plant communities and don't just utilize it and say, well, that's as good as it gets. There's more to learn with prescribed fire. Appreciate you guys joining and listening. We'll catch you next week.